0: Exploremore presents a reading from Strangers Like Angels, with a devil or two to boot, by Alec and Jan Foreman. Chapter 14 Day by day in Mali 22nd to the 26th of May 1977 Mali On our first night in Mali we parked in the bush north of Tenne we had a restless sleep what with the heat and distant sounds of festivities beating of drums and singing all night long feeling rather tired in the morning We set off on our journey north along a tarmac road, passing friendly locals who waved to us as we went by. There were many beautiful birds and hawks to be seen. Sheep and goats grazed alongside big humped cattle. Spectacular lean beasts with striking long horns. Elegant slim white birds known as cattle egrets strutted along the ridge of the cow's backs looking for tasty ticks and dozy flies. We turned to the left along a man-made dirt track, built up high above the level ground. The flat, prairie-like land was very dry with long brown grasses and scattered trees. Grey mud villages were located by the track every two or three miles. Ant hills, shaped like giant brown toadstools, decorated the landscape, creating a village of their own. We arrived at a river where the Land Rover was transported across on the pontoon ferry that was manned by five strong men. One had a headache and asked me for medicine. I gave him two paracetamol from our well-stocked medical box and he smiled. It was still some distance to Jenny, the historic mud town that we were driving to. Three women with a boy and a baby requested a ride there and we willingly obliged. Jenny, what a place! Built around its famous 12th century vast majestic mud mosque, walking along the narrow streets between the thick mud walls of connecting houses with arched tunnels was like a biblical flashback. Carved wooden doors and windows added interest to the architectural design. The locals could sleep on mats in the cool of the night up on the flat rooftops which had rounded wall boundaries. The fascinating open market stood before the mosque. It was animated with the sound of the local people who walked so tall and regally. The men wore loose, flowing robes known as boubous, handmade leather sandals, and carried tasseled leather bags. Upon their heads, many had big, wide-rimmed sun hats made from basket weave and strengthened and decorated with colored leather binding. There was a long chin strap to keep the hat tightly on the head or slung back off their shoulders. We couldn't resist those hats and promptly bought one each. The attractive women were adorned in flowing robes and their hair was tightly braided with beads threaded in. They wore their finest jewellery, including nose rings and huge gold earrings, showing off their family wealth, surprisingly worn on a busy market day as they worked. I approached one group of ladies and asked if I might try to carry the bundle of firewood that they were carrying on their heads. They placed a donut-shaped wad of cloth on top of my hair. Then I tried to transfer the bundle of wood carried by one lady onto my head but it was far too heavy for me. The women laughed at my wimpy effort and so did I. Leaving the fabled town behind, we drove back across the elevated dirt track and took the tarmac road north to Mopti, an enthralling town set on the banks of the Niger River. There were many modern town buildings designed in a style appropriate for the setting. The local lads soon appeared, asking to guard our land river and give us a tour. We chose one to guard whilst we went and explored the riverside market alone. The overwhelming odour of piles of dried fish lying on the ground masked any other smells. Gourds, clay pots, grass mats and baskets with a few fly-covered overripe mangoes were on sale. We bought a complete cured sheepskin to fill with water as the locals did to be tied on the side of our land rover on the jerry can rack. Apparently the water would begin to slowly seep out through the skin and then evaporate cooling the greater amount of water still within, ready for a refreshing wash at the end of a day's drive. Leaving the bustling market, we meandered across to the boats pulled up by the riverside and then to see others being built on the beach. Huge, long, wide boats, some with grass-woven canopies fitted on a wooden framework over the central part of the boat. We inquired as to the cost of a new boat, having a wild romantic dream of another journey one day to travel from the source of the Niger River in Guinea up in a crescent through Mali, Niger and onwards as it flows south through Nigeria into the Atlantic Ocean. 312 pounds to buy a boat and it could be built in 15 days. Meanwhile, back to reality, we went to the bank and waited an hour to exchange money. At the next town of Severay, we refuelled and topped up with water, filling the sheepskin bag as well. It was five in the afternoon, and as we headed north, the skin leaked copiously, more than we thought it should. We branched off at Connor, taking a dirt track that followed the telephone line. Shortly afterwards, we stopped for the night, right out in the middle of nowhere. It felt so hot that we slept with the Land Rover doors and windows wide open, to allow the air to blow through for a cooler night. The following morning we were up at five and away by six, following the telephone poles and choosing the best dirt tracks. The terrain was flat, with stretches of patchy green grass. Other areas had bare sandy earth, with a few scattered trees and bushes. There were remarkable purple flowers that had pushed up through the earth's dry crust in the recent rain. We were charmed by the beauty of the colourful birds that we encountered on the journey through Mali and the fascinating variety of lizards that skedaddled hither and thither. Often in the villages we saw them run along the mud walls. Becoming aware that it was being watched, one lithe lizard froze and played statue. Holding his bright orange head pertly with one foreleg and the diagonal leg behind raised, His other two feet suckered to the wall. He stood perfectly still. Such curious, comical creatures. Many people were about, walking or riding donkeys, camels and horses. Several mud hut and grass hut villages had distinctive mud mosques with wooden trims. We passed Korienz, a riverside village where herds of cattle and goats grazed nearby. Two women each held a long wooden pestle to thud in turn into the deep wooden mortar, pounding millet into flour. They sang and clapped in rhythm as they released and caught their pestle. We marvelled to be in the beautiful and mysterious land of Mali, with its varied people groups, who mastered the challenges of living there. The track became indistinct and hard to follow. Flocks of large and small birds were down by the river. We drove past a sandy area with clusters of palm trees and then there was no track at all. We stopped to ask a family the way to Saraboo. Their home was an isolated grass hut by the riverside. They pointed the way to go. We laughed when a squat, hairy, wild black pig decided to race us along the way. What a spunky little chap! On reaching Sarabu, the track had disappeared again and then a young boy saw that we were lost so he ran in front of our Land Rover and went into the shallow river. He beckoned us to follow him and showed us the direction to go through the bush on the other side. We then followed mere donkey tracks and had to repeatedly stop and ask the way from the occasional person we came across. Near the village of Conga, we saw two trucks and a Land Rover going along the main route so we gratefully followed behind until we arrived at the large town of Sarafera. Celebrations were going on. Women danced, sung, clapped and beat out a fantastic rhythm on their goods. A man played a wooden flute. We left the jubilant sounds behind and gave a ride to the postman, along with his mailbags, and found he was heading to where we wanted to go, Nimfunke. As we drove down to the river, there were men making bricks from mud and grass mixed with water. The formed bricks were released from the mould and left to dry in the sun. The river was 30 yards wide and there was no bridge or ferry. I removed my socks and shoes then waded in to walk across to see how deep the water was. The riverbed felt smooth and firm under my bare feet and the water lapped against my knees. Alec decided it was not too deep for the Land Rover and he drove to the other side. I climbed back in and we continued on across the dry grassy floodplains, sometimes following a track, sometimes not, but guided by the postman. Unfortunately, the next stretch of the river to cross in the Niger Delta was that much deeper, and Alec decided it was too risky. If the engine stalled and water was sucked up into the exhaust pipe, we would be marooned without a paddle. Disappointed to not be going to Niemfunki or Timbuktu, after all, we left the postman to wade across the river, holding the mailbags high above the water. On our return towards the town of Sarafera, several Barshays passed by, each of these vehicles heavily loaded, with passengers in the back and up front in the cab. Live goats and sheep had their feet tied together and lay high on the roof, on top of piles of baggage and merchandise. Live chickens hung upside down with their feet bound and tied along the sides of the bar their heads dangled and bounced along in the clouds of dust thrown up by the vehicles careering along the earth road. Arriving at Corienza again, we saw several flocks of sheep with their shepherds. Then we passed a Tuareg riding high on his camel, leading a string of camels Loaded with goods that were secured in leather bags. What an enthralling day and there were more adventures to come. The next day we drove back to Mopti, giving a ride to two locals whose bus had broken down. On arrival we discovered the bank was closed for two public holidays. Three Tuaregs came across and one spoke to us in fluent English and explained that we could exchange money at the hotel. He was from Gao, our next major destination to the east, and we talked about the route to go there. He advised us on how to take care of the skin water bag we had bought, to prevent it from losing water so fast. Sew up any holes, smear the outside with butter, and then soak the skin in water before filling it up. We exchanged French francs into the local Mali francs with a Frenchman at the hotel. Then we filled the tanks with fuel and water before setting out to Cora, where the road climbed up to the impressive falaise de Bandiagara. We drove to the edge of the escarpment and saw the extensive view of the landscape far below. The red shell, rugged road heading down towards the plains was slippery, steep and uneven, and for some reason the Land Rover speedometer cable suddenly snapped we passed four men riding on their donkeys and then a man walking alone flagged us down for a ride. Whenever he saw someone he knew, the man had stop the Land Rover so that he could greet his friends. At one pearl village of grass igloo-shaped huts with low doorways, we stood nearby and observed the local people's dress and mannerisms and took photos as our hitchhiker chatted away. The next stop was at a Dogon village where the houses were made from the red earth and were permanent dwellings. This completely different form of housing reflected the lifestyle of the two people groups. The Dogon farmers stayed in one place as they worked the surrounding land. Pearl, or Fulani people as they are also known, moved with their herds of cattle to find fresh grazing. So their temporary homes of grass could be transferred to another location. Our passenger reached his destination at the village of Mudugu, where the Dogon mud houses and pearl grass huts were built side by side. We checked on the route to Duenza and drove on towards a magnificent rock face, where a mud Dogon village was nestled in the depression of the craggy rocks, totally camouflaged. It was only visible as we drove closer and could see the outline of individual huts and the tall round corn storage bins, also made from mud and standing on legs. That night we parked on flat farmland, with only a few trees here and there. As we prepared to go to bed, a herd of donkeys galloped by in a cloud of dust. During the night we heard the sound of voices close by, so we cautiously closed and locked the doors and windows. We were up at five as the sun rose and found that those voices belonged to fellow travellers who had camped nearby. They were preparing to leave on their donkeys. As we ate breakfast, a man, four women and a boy walked along carrying baskets of manure on their heads to scatter on the adjacent fields. We greeted one another and I gave them a mango. Soon after, a wonderful old man stopped by, a Dogon farmer, wearing a tunic, trousers, jacket and straw hat and carrying a sheepskin bag, a leather shoulder bag, a dibber spade and a forked stick. He looked about 80 years old. He could still remember some English from when he worked for the local authority in Accra, Ghana in 1935. He spoke the old English sayings of the elderly people in England. He asked me for medicine for his aches and pains and I gave him some paracetamol. It wasn't until 7:30 that we finally got away after several more visitors came by. The dirt track led us through delightful countryside, past little villages and some of the houses built of stone. In the fields there were all ages of Dogon people working on the land. We saw a camel train of 30 camels being led, laden with salt. The land river clambered gallantly up a boulder-strewn hilly track past a light tan and white monkey playing on a fallen tree. The road east from Duenza was very scenic as we drove across flat bushland surrounded by rugged mountains. Alex slowed down when we came across a broken down truck carrying five men. I gave them some water to drink and rivita crackers and jam. A couple of local lads who suddenly appeared shared the snack as well. Driving towards Hombori across the semi-desert plateau, the bright white sand glared in our eyes and we were glad to have our sunglasses to hand. The temperature was high at 108 degrees Fahrenheit and a hot dusty breeze blew in the open windows as we drove along. Next we stopped by another broken down truck that was carrying 15 men. One wheel had a puncture and they had no means to fix it so we gave them three big repair patches. We eventually reached Tombori and Fatima's hand and marvelled at the unique huge rock formations that jutted straight out of the ground. We continued on eastwards before stopping at a police checkpoint, where some kind lads refilled our yellow plastic jerry can with water from the well. Their bucket was made from a recycled truck tyre inner tube with a strong wire handle to which was attached a very long rope. The temperature had risen to 112 degrees Fahrenheit. Alec drove along the deep rutted sand track when suddenly the Land Rover stuck rigid, requiring the spade and sand ladders to the rescue. Children came over from the nearby Pearl Grass huts and tried to entice us to buy woven mats just as we were involved in freeing the Land Rover. We stopped in the early evening. And parked on a level area of brown stony ground. Having travelled 230 miles cross-country that day, we were shattered. Total distance driven, 13,660 miles. You've been listening to a reading from Strangers Like Angels, with a devil or two to boot, by Alec and Jan Foreman, presented by ExploreMore. ExploreMore is an adventure lifestyle brand founded on the 1977 travel stories of Alec and Jan Foreman with a passion to inspire people to explore more of the world, engage with others, and embrace global cultures to ensure a greater understanding for each other and enable positive progression. Discover great products and more on exploremore.com. That's E-X-P-L-M-O-R-E dot